0: Good morning, can you hear me, mic working, all right, otherwise I would have to yell at you the whole time, and nobody wants that. Well, I have a question for you as we start here, our last message on the book of Colossians, do you want to be great, do you want to be great, and I can tell you've all learned not to answer my questions, <laughs> even the obvious ones. All right, so uh, as we think about that, we should, of course, define greatness, and uh, we can do that by turning to Mark chapter 10, verse 43. Jesus says, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. And so greatness, we see, is service in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, if you want to be great, wonderful. There's lots of room at the bottom, right? We can all be servants. No lack of opportunities to serve. And as we look at the passage today, We'll see a list of names, some may be hard to pronounce, and uh, yet we want to think about the fact these guys are all being listed as servants, and therefore we have a list of great people. And as we look at them, we'll try to draw as much as we can from the scripture about these people, and we'll see... Uh, if you would, maybe keys for greatness, right? As we look at their lives and examples and what it is that made these people great by being servants. We can think, how can we be great by being servants ourselves, too? Okay, uh, with that, let's turn to Colossians. And we'll, we'll take this passage uh, piecemeal, so starting at verse 2. Colossians 4, verse 2. We're told, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So the first servants we have in this passage are the Colossians themselves. This is, if you would, the end in a list of exhortations that Paul is giving to the Colossians. And there's two keys for being a servant or being great in this passage. The first one is pray. Continue earnestly in prayer. If you want to be a servant of God, you need to pray. Now, we don't often appreciate the value of prayer, as can be seen from the amount of time we spend in prayer in our own private lives, myself being uh, convicted by that thought. Uh, it said in uh, James 5 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it makes a difference by you being on your knees? And praying, I have to confess, for me, it's a growing conviction. (laughs) You know, we could pray and have prayed sometimes just because we're told to pray is a good thing. But there comes a point in your life you believe that my praying really makes a difference. And that brings you more to prayer. And uh, Paul was clearly a person convicted by the impact that prayer has because he proceeds by asking them to pray for him, right? Meanwhile praying also for us. He's asking the Colossians to pray for him and the people working with him, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. So here Paul was, he's an apostle, that's his job, to tell people about Jesus. And he's saying, I need you guys in Colossae to pray for me, that God would open to me a door so that I'll have opportunities to share the gospel. Right? Paul isn't just saying it, He feels the need for it. He feels the need for doors to be open. He knows what it is when God flings wide a door of opportunity to share the gospel. And he knows when there's a closed door and he's he's speaking and sharing and nothing is happening. Right? Or he's not even given an opportunity. He's locked in a jail cell and he can't even share the gospel with anyone except for the prison guards, which is fine. He can share with them too. But uh, Paul knows he needs the doors to open to share, and he believes it's not going to happen unless the Colossians and other people are praying for him. Now, that's something that uh, I've struggled with myself uh, here in Calvary Bible Chapel. We want to see people saved, right, and come to know the Lord. (laughs) Well, how much time am I spending on my knees asking the Lord to open doors for the gospel? Right, for me and uh, the rest of you guys, too. So, in uh, recognition of that, uh, Sharon and I did decide to open our house tonight. Anybody who wants to come and pray uh, will pray specifically for that, right, for open doors, for the Lord to open doors for the gospel, uh, for us with our families, with co-workers, neighbors. We feel the need right, for the Lord to open doors. Well, if you feel the need, get on your knees. Right? and ask. That's what Paul asked. And if Paul needed it, certainly we need it as well. The second uh, thing that Paul tells the Colossians to do is to walk. Right? Says in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Who are those who are outside? Those are people who are not in the church. We're not talking about the church building. We're talking about among the saved. Uh, people who are not saved, people who are outside of the church of Jesus Christ. God's great desire is for people to come to know him, to enter into a relationship with him through the completed work of his son, the Lord Jesus. And uh, he wants us to be instruments of people coming to know him. That is God's will for you and for me. And he's telling us here to walk in wisdom. Those we can't make people saved, right? If I could go and drag somebody in here and preach the gospel at him and they get saved, I would do it. <laughs> but I can't. Right? I can't force people into the kingdom of God. But I can walk in wisdom. I can walk in a way that is consistent and then gives me an opportunity to share with them, right? If I'm not walking in a way that's consistent with the gospel, you know, I may... Miss opportunities to share with them, right? And that's why he continues here and says, uh, uh, redeeming the time, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So speech always being with grace, uh, I think it's speaking kind words to people. We serve a God that loves sinners, right? And he wants them to be saved. Uh, he's gracious, he's kind to them, and so I need to be gracious and I need to be kind to other people too. Right? I, otherwise, it's hard to share a gospel of grace when I'm not being kind myself to others. And uh, it does say season with salt. There's different interpretations of, of what that means. Uh, to me, salt is most often used in the scripture as, as a picture of something that is uh, restraining sin. Right? Salt is used to preserve Food to prevent corruption from happening, and uh, so even though I'm to be kind to people, doesn't mean that I need to uh, accept uh, everything they do as being right and good. Right? If there's sin in somebody's life, uh, it's not inconsistent with the gospel to point it out. Jesus was the most gracious person that ever lived, and yet he talked about people's sins. Right? The woman at the well. You know, he brought her to him. He's, he's interesting her in the, in the gospel. And then he points out there's a problem in her life, right? You've had five husbands, and the one with whom you are now is not your husband, right? She needed to come into terms with her sin before she could come to know the Lord. So as we try to engage people, uh, it doesn't mean we can't talk about the sin. We have to get to the sin question in their lives, too. Uh, just going back, I had... Uh, you know, I'm always, I, I, I joked with Jake about it earlier, often I have, you know, verses I want to talk about, and uh, then I kind of skip over them as I go through. You can come inside, take a seat. Um, but uh, I think there was something of value here, so I'm going to go ahead back and think about the word redeeming the time. Uh, we're here on, in this world, right? Jesus saved us. Uh, Sometimes people would say the question, well, why didn't he just take me to heaven when he saved me, right? Why do I have to live here on earth? Well, God had a purpose for us. He wanted us to use our time here on earth and turn it into or convert it into something of eternal value. That's what it means, redeeming the time. John chapter 4, Jesus is trying to open the disciples' eyes for it. He came uh, to Samaria. He had in mind the salvation of the people there they had in mind getting food. So they went into town to get food. Jesus witnessed to the Samaritan woman. She became a believer. She's going into the city. She's telling people about Jesus and bringing them to Jesus. In the meantime, his disciples are kind of struggling. You know, we went, we got food, we gave it to Jesus. He's not eating. What's going on here? And uh, Jesus is trying to open their eyes. There's something of far greater value that's happening here that you're missing. And he says this in John chapter 4, Verse thirty five, do you not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit to eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For this saying is true, for in this the saying is true. One sows, and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And what Jesus is trying to wake them up to is the harvest of souls. There's people uh, with souls of eternal value that God loves, that God wants to reach. And they're going to come out of those gates in about one minute. Right? And I want you to be thinking about what you can be doing here and the fact that... Uh, you know, he who reaps, so reaping here talks about the action of leading someone to Christ. When, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody and they believe and they put their faith or trust in Christ, they're saved. Jesus says that uh, they are uh, transported from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They will not come into condemnation. They now have eternal life by the mere fact of now putting their faith in Christ. And a person who's involved in that can be th- thought of as a reaper. He's a person who takes someone and brings them into Christ as a fruit. Okay, And Jesus says that he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit to eternal life, meaning that now you've converted your time here on earth into something of eternal value. For all of eternity, you'll get to see this person rejoicing in heaven in the presence of Christ, God being glorified through his salvation of the person, and you've had a part in it. And uh, Jesus is careful to say here, that it's both he who sows and he who reaps that may rejoice together. Sometimes uh, we struggle because we don't see a person being saved, right? And I'm saying, well, where is you know, my fruit? Where is my reaping that, that is bringing praise and glory to God? Well, Jesus says it's not just he who reaps, right? It's also he who sows. God has to work in a person's life before that person is ready to put their trust in Christ and to be saved. And God will use different people, in this case, he used other people than the apostles to sow into people's life. It could have been people like you uh, working alongside somebody in the workplace, being a testimony of Christ, maybe even speaking of their sin. And you may never see that person being saved, but God used you in their lives to prepare the ground, and then they go and Somebody else shares the gospel with them and they're saved. Well, in heaven, it's going to be both of you that rejoice. You will know that God used you as part of bringing this person to know him. And you'll get to rejoice just as much as the person who did the reaping. Right? But either way, we can use our lives now and our testimony now to something of eternal value. Saving souls, bringing souls to Christ that will rejoice there for all of eternity. That's That's what Jesus was trying to open the eyes of his his disciples to. And that's what Paul says we can be doing, right? So two things that you and I can do, the Colossians can do, any believer can do. We can all pray, and we can all live a life of testimony, right, that God can use to bring people to himself. Okay, back to Colossians. So this was, if you would, the end of Paul's exhortation to the Colossians. Now we're going to see uh, this list of names, and we are going to try to uh, dig a little bit into what we know about these people from the Scripture and see how they were servants of Christ and see what we can take out of their lives. Okay, so key one uh, for greatness or servanthood is prayer. Second one is living a life consistent with the gospel, a life of testimony. Um, and we'll see what our other others are here. So verse 7 in Colossians chapter 4, uh, Tichicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. So today, if somebody from Rome wanted to communicate with someone in Colossae or whoever, you know, whoever lives in that region now, they would get on their computer and they would type an email. Or they could even get on their phone and you know, text something and you know, Zoom, it goes over to Colossa and they can read it and be encouraged. Uh, it, they didn't have that option in those days. In fact, they didn't even have the snail mail service, at least not a reliable one. If you really wanted the letter to get to someone, you had to find a faithful messenger, someone you could entrust. So, Paul just wrote this letter that we've been reading to the Colossians, and now he's going to hand it to a couple of guys. And they're going to travel over land and sea and reach the city of Colossae and deliver this letter. So, it's a, it's a serious, heavy responsibility. And to add to it, uh, they're not just going to deliver the letter. Uh, they, they have to uh, find out what's going on, right? He says, I am sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know the circumstances. Remember, there's problems in the Church of Colossae, right? The news have somehow traveled to Paul and he heard that there's false teachers there and that's why he wrote this letter and now he's entrusting it into a couple of guys and he's sending them all the way to Colossae. They need to find out what's going on, you know, what happened to this church in the last few months that have passed. And uh, then, he says, they're supposed to comfort their hearts, right? Whatever the situation is. So this is a big task that these two guys have received. And uh, one thing to note is uh, these are people who have, who have demonstrated their faithfulness, right? And that's the, the third key here uh, for being a servant is you need to be faithful, right? Jesus said, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. Right, so these are two guys that both have proven their faithfulness in somewhat smaller tasks, and therefore now Paul can give them this big job. All right, take this little to Colossae. Find out what's going on in that church and fix it. Right, a big job, but that's as a result of being faithful in little things. Maybe you know, there's somebody here who says, I really want that job. You know, I really want to be able to go and do that ministry. You know, well, God says, be faithful in the little things, right? Be faithful in what I've given to you. Bigger tasks will follow. Uh, The fourth one is also in this passage, and I said it's making old wrongs right. The fourth key to being a uh, great person or a servant of Christ, Christ, making old wrongs right. Why am I saying it? Well, in verse 9, he talks about Onesimus. He says he's a faithful and beloved brother, and then he adds, who is one of you. So uh, Onesimus was used to live in Colossae. Well, if we would go to the book of Philemon, we won't, we have limited time, we would find out that Onesimus used to be a slave. He was a slave of Philemon. And he ran away from Philemon, which in those days mean he basically, you know, stole something of value, right? He is the property of Philemon. And for him to run away in, in Roman times was a capital offense. Right? You would be put to death. If you were a slave and you ran away from your master, that would justify you being put to death. Now, we're glad we don't have that today, but that was the reality at that time in Colossae. Now, on top of that, it seems that he stole something. So he stole something of value, probably to finance his trip to Rome or wherever he was going at the time. And now he in Rome, he met Paul, he got saved. And he started serving God in some capacity. Well, Paul is saying, you need to go back <laughs> and make things right. Literally, subject yourself back onto, under your old master. Now, his old master, Philemon, is also a Christian, and he may grant him his liberty and says, go back to Rome and serve Paul. Right? But, but Onesimus has to make the step of going back and making things right. It was wrong. You, know, you own me uh, as my master. You know, I shouldn't have run away. Right? There's a financial obligation that I stole something I shouldn't have stolen. I've come to make things right. Right? So, if you have something in your life that was, you know, you know that you've done wrong and you got saved, this is what uh, Jesus says. If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So God takes seriously our relationship with other people. If there's something I've done wrong to others, I should go back and make it right. I shouldn't leave this thing in my life, in my past, that was wrong and not deal with it. Okay. Uh, Next we have, in verse 10 of Colossians, going on through this list of, of names in this chapter, Paul says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. So these are what we would call Paul's uh, Jewish fellow workers. We'll then have a list of Gentile fellow workers he has. But he has uh, three Jewish fellow workers with them, him. The first one is Aristarchus, and uh, Paul note that he is a fellow prisoner, and we could trace down Aristarchus uh, through the scripture. He joined Paul during, uh, I believe it was his second missionary journey, and uh, then he was with Paul at Ephesus. Anybody remembers the riot that happened at Ephesus? Now you may remember that they didn't have Paul, right? They, they caught a couple of other guys and they were marching them. They were going to lynch them. I don't know what the plan was for those guys. Uh, Paul was safe. right? These people were in trouble. Well, Aristarchus was one of them. Right? Here's one of the guys who was held by the mob, ready to tear him in pieces. And you would think, you know, I've been following Paul. I've been trying to serve him. And now this happens to me. <laughs> okay. you know, and I've known people who've done that. You know, and said, you know, I... I don't want any more of this, right? If this is what it means to be a servant of the gospel, it means being suffering and persecuted like this, I want to have nothing to do with it, right? <clears throat> Aristarchus stayed with Paul, right? And then he, he went with Paul. As Paul went to Jerusalem, Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. And then Paul finally, after being in prison for a while, got on a boat and went to Rome. Aristarchus was on that boat with him. Shipwreck and all, right? He was uh, one of the shipwreck survivors. Again, you know, what am I doing here? <laughs> There's safer waters to be in. And then now he's with Paul at Rome in prison with Paul. Again, out of his love for Paul, out of his love for the gospel, or for Christ serving in the gospel. And that's the fifth uh, key. Uh, uh, we have this Paul tells Timothy in Second Timothy, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If you want to serve Christ, there's going to be negative consequences, right? This is a world that is is ruled by Satan. And uh, in one way or another, you're going to suffer if you seek to serve Christ. It's not going to come without a price. So you have to be willing to pay the price of suffering to be great or a servant. Then we have Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and he's uh, too there. All these guys are willing to suffer with Paul. What stands out here to me about Mark is uh, last time we hear about uh, Mark is was a time of separation or split up. You may remember that uh, uh, Mark went with uh, Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey, and uh, things were rough, right? We talked about suffering. And Mark said, this is enough. I'm going back home. And he went back home, And then the second missionary journey comes along and Mark says, count me in. And Paul says, no. Last time, you left us halfway through. I'm not interested in taking you with me anymore. Now Barnabas was different and said, no, no, no. We need to give Mark another chance. And there's, you know, such striving and arguing between Paul and Barnabas that they decide to split up. And Barnabas takes Mark and Paul takes Silas. Right? There was a split. There was a division. And yet here we see they're working together again. And I think that's another key for being a servant of Christ, is you have to be able to put things behind you and work together. Right? I mean, things will happen between you and other believers, and if you allow that to stand in the way of serving God, you'll say, I'm not serving God with that person again, well, that's, that limits the effectiveness, right? your effectiveness. You can't serve God as effectively when you're not willing to work with other people. We have to put these things behind us and work together, right, like Mark and Paul are doing here. Uh, that was number six for whoever is keeping count. All right, then we have Jesus, who is called Justice. Now, as I understand it, Jesus was a kind of this Greek form of the name of Joshua. So there were probably many Jesuses, right? It was a common Jewish name. So this is a, just a guy who happened to have the name Jesus. And, uh, but it says here, Jesus, who is called Justice. And I could be wrong. Uh, I'm going to use you know, what I call a sanctified speculation here. But I think he changed his name in order to have a name that sounded more Greek. Right? So Paul was serving Greeks. He was the missionary to the Gentiles. Right? Jesus was not a Greek name. Justice was a Greek name. And uh, he's doing something that I believe Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law. That I might win those who are under the law to those who are without law as without law. Not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. That I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. So what he's doing here, what Paul is talking about, is his willingness to change for the sake of others. I I came to share the gospel with other people. And if there's something about me that's creating a hindrance, right? if these people uh, are under the law and they're observing the Sabbath and they're observing certain food laws of what they can and cannot eat, I'm going to conform myself to those things so they don't become a hindrance to sharing the gospel with them. So perhaps uh, Jesus, who is called Justice, changed his name just to remove whatever barrier it is. Call me Justice, <laughs> right, If that helps it out. We have a great example of this in uh, Hudson uh, Taylor. Hudson Taylor. Yeah. Hudson Taylor. Okay. Thank you for the correction. He was a, a missionary to China and uh, became. Converted at a young age, he's reported to have said at age four, I'm going to be a missionary to China, before he was even saved. But God gloriously saved him, and then he took it seriously. I'm going to go to China, and I'm going to witness to people. And he gets to China, and trying to join other missionaries, and he finds that all the other missionaries live in cities on the coast of China, and not just in the cities on the coast, but in quarters reserved to the Europeans. So Europeans came into China in force with big ships and cannons and told the Chinese give us a place, you know, to live at. And, uh, you know, the Chinese yielded to them. And these Europeans were living in these bastions within certain parts of these coastal cities. And they would go out and try to reach the Chinese and tell them about Jesus. Well, that's wonderful. But all the Chinese could see is these foreigners that were oppressing them. And they were not interested in the gospel. And Hudson Tyler was a revolutionary in this way. He chose to dress like a Chinese. Right? He put aside his European clothes and put on Chinese clothes. And uh, he left the European section of the city, and he lived in the Chinese section of the city. And as much as possible, he attempted to remove the barriers, reduce the barriers for the gospel, make it as much as possible to, to uh, bring the gospel to them. He founded what's called China Inland Mission, Right? They, went, they started going inland, away from the coast. And uh, uh, today, I believe there's more Christians in China than the United States. By some estimates, around 150 million. A lot of it is due to Hudson Tyler being willing to become Chinese, <laughs> right, for the gospel's sake. So that's, uh, that was my seventh key to being a servant of Christ, I may need to let go of things to be effective in the lives of others. Reduce, do everything you can to reduce the barrier for the gospel. We live in a neighborhood that's not, you know, mostly American. Right? Most people in this neighborhood are, are immigrants from other countries. And we have to shed off our Americanism <laughs> right? and do whatever we can to reach people. Remove whatever barrier we have to be effective in their lives. Okay. Verse 12. We're racing here for the finish. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bond servant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Look, the beloved physician and Demas, greet you. So in case you couldn't tell, zeal is uh, the eighth key for being great in God's kingdom. Uh, Paul says this, it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. I think sometimes we're afraid of zeal right zeal you think about a person who is out of control you know there's something that's so important to him right he seems to throw other things to the wind and uh and yet zeal can be a good thing right that's what paul says you know it is good to be zealous for a good thing what can be better than winning people for christ (laughs) right i mean that would be a good thing to be zealous for and uh And Epaphras was such a one. Epaphras was uh, from Colossae, right? He says he was one of you. And he probably was the one who brought the news to Paul of what was happening in Colossae. And you could imagine his heart would be to go back to Colossae. But Paul is losing two helpers here already, right? He's losing Tychicus and he's losing uh, Onesimus, right? They're going with the letter and maybe... Uh, Epaphras realizes Paul needs help here. I need to stay with Paul and help Paul. But uh, his, his need for him, uh, his, <coughs> his love for them, his zeal for them drives him to his knees, right? Another evidence of the importance of prayer. Always laboring fervently for you in prayer, right? That was uh, Epaphras. He had zeal for the Colossians. Okay, then we have Luke, uh, the beloved physician, and Demas. Uh, they, their names happen three times in the Bible, and they're always together, with, with the exception, of course, of you know, the uh, introduction to, uh, to the gospel written by one of them. But uh, there's a difference between them, which we see in uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4. Paul says, be diligent to come to me quickly, he's, he's telling Timothy to come to him. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescent for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. So that's the difference between the two, is uh, right now they are both serving, but uh, Demas will leave Paul, right? Paul says, having loved this present world. Demas had other things that just became more important to him than serving God, right, whereas Luke held on to the end, and uh, all we know about Demas is this verse, right, kind of a disappointing life, we don't know if he was a believer or not, Uh, but certainly his his life, as far as we know, has no value, right, has Demas had done anything for you lately, (laughs) he hasn't, how about Luke, has Luke done anything for you lately, yes, (laughs) right, he wrote one of the gospels, You know, he wrote the book of Acts. And that's the result of living a life for Christ. It says this, Luke himself said it, quoting Jesus. "Uh, Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And I think here in value... uh, Uh, Demas tried to save his life, right? He's like, no, 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 there's more to life than being here a servant for God. And he went and did his own thing. He lost the value of his life. At least it's lost to us. Whereas Luke, uh, you know, was the one who lost his life, right? He was a doctor. He could have made a good pay somewhere else rather than being in prison with Paul. And yet he decided to stick it out and serve God. And the result was that he was able to write the gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. And uh, millions, if not billions of people have profited from him being able to lay down his life. And that's, uh, that was our ninth key, right, to being a great person, is being willing to lay down your life, right, for the gospel's sake. Putting God's priority first, putting yourself second. All right, uh, we'll finish up now in, uh, with verses 15 through 18. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphas and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans and that you likewise wise read the epistle from Laodicea and say to our keepers, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. And so ends the epistle. <clears throat> we have a two last names, uh, Nympas and uh, Kipus. Uh, they were local leaders, most likely. Nympas probably was in uh, Laodicea. He was a, uh, it says that he had a church in his own house. And uh, that's uh, something that uh, we don't have right now, right? We're meeting in a building. Uh, but our church did start in a house. I think some of you have been here long enough to have seen this church start in a house. And why would churches meet in a house? And I think uh, one reason for it is it requires a minimum uh, kind of investment, right? So if, if uh, Paul or Epaphras came to Colossae and is preaching the gospel, and a couple of families get saved, and uh, the prophet says, okay, now we need to come up with money so we can build a church, and then we can start meeting. <laughs> right? I mean, the church would really slow down its progress. If he says, all right, by you have a house. Let's meet at your house. Right? I mean, we have a church. Right? Now, the church, don't be confused, is the people. Right? It's not the building we're at. But being able to meet in a house church allows for a rapid advance of Christianity. Christianity was able to spread rapidly, because all you need is a family or two, and you have a church. You have a house. You can start meeting. You can invite your neighbors, right? And that's how it propagates. And right now in China, as I understand it, for every you know, church building, you have three to five uh, house churches, right? And that's how the gospel has been spreading in China, It's really through house churches. Now, nothing wrong in having a building. Uh, once there were probably... Too many people, I imagine, to meet in, uh, was it uh, your house, Kathy? You know, we needed a bigger building, okay? So praise the Lord, he provided the funds for a larger building. Uh, But we want to think about NIMPAS here. And uh, what what did it take, Kathy, to have a church in your house? (laughs) You know, we struggle, right, sometimes getting up in the morning and making it to church on time. Just imagine the church is meeting at your house right? I mean, you'd have to get up even earlier, right? Turn your house into a church so everybody could come. And uh, then, you know, after everybody leaves, you have to turn your house back into a house, right, for you to live in. And uh, that's a lot of work, right? And so that's uh, number 10, is is really willing, I say willing to use your earthly possessions for the kingdom, right? Use what God has given you for his kingdom. Uh, key for servanthood okay uh, last person we have is our and uh, Paul uh, is uh, seems to be trying to encourage him encouraging him in verse 17 and say to our take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it who is our well if we went to the book of Philemon we would find in verse 1 He said, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier into the church that is in your house. So Archippus is named here together with Philemon as having the church in his house. So I think my best guess is that Archippus was probably Philemon's adult son. That's my guess. He could have been someone else from that close family that could actually call that house his house. All right? Now, Paul also says that Philemon was a fellow soldier. So that makes me think that he probably was a teacher in the church. Now, it doesn't have to be, he could have had some other ministry. But uh, he may have been a teacher in the church. Now, why would he be discouraged? Why is there a need for this special encouragement? Well, We found out that in Colossus, there's false teachers, right? And they've been coming and and teaching other things. And uh, we guessed before that they may have been very successful, right? They were preaching uh, the wisdom of this world, right? They sounded very wise. They were preaching about spiritual experiences you can have by following them. And that's very popular too. And it could be that Archippus was here trying to hold on to the true gospel and the true teaching and yet, finding that people, rather than listening to him, would rather go and listen to these false teachers over here. And he could have been becoming discouraged and maybe wondering, what am I doing wrong? You know, maybe I don't have a true calling from God to be a teacher. Or maybe, you know, my teaching is wrong. Maybe I need to be more exciting that people would come and listen to me. Right? And now Paul is saying, you know, you guys need to go to a keeper's. And take, him, take heed to the ministry which you have received from the Lord that you may fulfill it. It's basically, come on, keepers, you got the right ministry. You need to, to, to keep on going on, right? You're doing the right thing, and, uh, and, and you need to persevere. And that's really the final key, 11, if you were counting, is that is persevering in the ministry that God has given you. It's so easy for us to become discouraged, right? We want to see fruit in our ministry, You know, when I'm serving God, I want to have people standing up and praising God afterward, you know, for how wonderful my ministry was. You know what? It doesn't happen, and not most of the time. And, uh, you know, if I become discouraged, and say, oh, you know, that's the wrong calling for me. Clearly, I haven't been called to be a teacher, right? Well, maybe I need to change my teaching, you know, and, and talk about something more popular, right? You know, I would be losing the ministry that God has given me. And, and the same thing, whatever ministry you have, you know, you may, may be discouraged, and if you haven't, you will be, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, that's the reality, you know, of our ministries. Very often, we don't see the effect of it until we get to heaven, right? Then we'll see all the effects our ministry has. And yet, what Paul is saying is you need to keep on going on, right? If it's a ministry the Lord has given you, don't become discouraged. Keep up in it. He says, in 1 Corinthians, "Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Right? Everything you're doing for the Lord is not. The Lord is keeping an account. right? I mean, even if, if it so happens that people don't appreciate what you're doing for Him, if you're doing something for the Lord, the Lord is keeping an account. If a person offers a cup of cold water, water in my name, Right? Jesus says what? Assuredly, he will not lose his reward. Right? Jesus is keeping count of what you're doing for him. And adding to it in Galatians 6.9, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And I think that's a promise you know, for the here and now too. Keep on going on, doing what you know God has called you to do, and you will see the fruit of it. You need to keep on going. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you created a way for us to be great. And we know that's becoming servants like, just like your son, the Lord Jesus, became a servant for us. We want to be like him. We pray that you might help us take these things to heart, send us with your encouragement. And Lord, we uh, do pray that we might see fruit in all the labor we're doing for you, Lord, that you might give us Fruit that we might rejoice in it, that others might rejoice in it for all of eternity. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.